Let's grill this man. Let's grill this man like a fish. You know, that's, you know, that's one of my favorite words <laughs> for talk. Grill him. Grill him. So many answers we may never know. Too many questions get on with the show. No time for the chorus. Only this bus. It's good Open the podcast doors, Hal. It's Kubrick's Universe. The Stanley Kubrick Podcast. Hello, campers. And welcome back to Kubrick's Universe. I'm Stephen, your Kubrick commentator for this episode. I've just been informed that a new book is due out in March called The Kubrick Legacy, which is edited by a past guest, Mick Broderick, and includes chapters by not only Mick himself, but our very own SCAS admin and Kubrick's Universe co-host, James Marinaccio, as well as several other noted writers and academics. The Kubrick Legacy book is described as providing a tantalising critical snapshot of the enduring impact and influence of one of the 20th century's most enigmatic and consummate screen artists. This book comes from Routledge Press in March 2019. Now, when it comes to books with Kubrick's name on the cover, it's impossible not to think of the book written by our next guest. Vincent Labruto is a teacher of motion picture editing and cinema studies at the School of Visual Arts in New York. He has worked for Fox and HBO as editor and for the ABC Television Network as a post-production coordinator. Vincent is also a special member of ACE, which is the Society of American Cinema Editors, and Vincent has also received the Robert Wise Award for Journalistic Excellence in the Illumination of the Art of Editing. He has edited and written for Cinema Editor and written for Cineast and Film Quarterly magazines. He is the author of several books on filmmaking, including a series where he interviews some of the best artists in their fields, including film editing, film sound, cinematography and production design. Vincent has also written several notable biographies on filmmakers such as Martin Scorsese, The Coppolas and Gus Van Sant, but it's his seminal biography on Stanley Kubrick that places him firmly in Kubrick's universe. Without further ado, we now talk to Vincent about his book, Stanley Kubrick, A Biographer. Our host, Jason Furlong, will now assume control and we will be joined by the aforementioned James Marinaccio. Welcome to the show. Honor to be here. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. So you've insisted uh, that me and my friends call you Vinny henceforth. Uh, henceforth. So that's what it's going to be. Is that cool, Vinny? Yeah, it's very cool. Thank you. All right. We've got Vinny Vincent Labruto Invasion for you, ladies and germs. <laughs> that's an obscure metal reference. Anyway. All right. So listen, I'm going to start by asking you uh, some questions about... Uh, your teaching experience at the School of Visual Arts. Um, and uh, before I get to the question, I want to uh, preface them by way of some quotes and actual comments from your students at SVA. Um, one is, he teaches with such clarity and is so helpful. Another of your students said, the nicest guy at this school. 
Another student said, Labruto is legendary and the greatest editing and production designer professor in filmdom. One of them says, Sweetie Pie, helpful, honest, fair, and educational. Gosh, I hope that was a woman. Really understands, <laughs> really understands what it means to edit a film, said another. Labruto is awesome. So, hmm. How do your SVA students feel about you? I wonder. Um, as you so, let me get to the question. And uh, thanks for indulging me. As your role uh, as professor in the film department at SVA in New York, it would seem that you have a very good relationship with your students. Uh, first question: Can you tell us how you got uh, started there, and also about your students? Well, I have to tell you again: it's, it's great to be here and. You know, when I when I got the uh, these quotes and saw them, I, you know, I didn't know what to say for a couple of minutes because I love my students. I love my students, and mm. we have a good rapport. And people have said things over the years, but when you read it like this, it was just it, it's amazing. But anyway, um, I never thought I was going to be a teacher. I never thought I was going to be a writer. Mm. But I got into writing and um, wholeheartedly. And then at one point said, well, if you write, you teach. And mm -hmm. without any real background, I didn't go to, to teaching college. Um, I didn't really study it in any way. I think if I had anything, and you know, I always try to stay positive. But I think mm. when I started to teach, I thought back, I thought back of all the great teachers I had. But right. I also thought back of the teachers and the school and the system that didn't work so well. And I said, I'm going to try to not change it, but I'm going to do it differently. For me, you know, what right. other people do, they do. And the main thing I think that, that, that I do, and I'll get to the question right after this, as, as a teacher, is I, I don't talk for three hours. I let them talk. We, get, mm. we engage, you know, it's like a Plato thing, you know, like a Socrates mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. we, we engage in a dialogue about the subject that, that we're dealing with. So that's basically the, the, the way that, that I, I, I got into it. I decided I wanted to teach. And, of course, where would you go but, you know, SVA? And, and I asked, and there wasn't an opening at the time. And I had to wait about a year, you know, and I went about, you know, I was writing one of the books. And um, I walked in the first day, a lot of planning. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I think anybody who's read my Kubrick book, you can say whatever you want about it. But, you know, I do my research and I do my planning and, oh, yeah. you know, I try to be as meticulous as, as he was, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. He taught me a lot about that. So I walked in and I just started. And at one point, one of the students jumped up and I think he got the feeling that people weren't totally paying attention to me. They seemed to. He said, do you realize what this man is trying to do? <laughs> of course, during the break, I hugged them for about a half hour, and um, and and that's how it started. I, you know, and and that's really what I did. I brought in a million clips from movies as examples. It was an editing class as an example of of what great editing was, and um, and I just you know have have built that for, from there. Students, SVA students are all mavericks. Mm. SVA is a maverick school. You know, mm -hmm. again, the Cooper connection. You know why I was right. on a to deal with Kubrick, and um, they're also awfully nice. I mean, if you treat people nice, they treat you nice, but these kids happen to be, you know, really nice, and they're from all over the world, of course, mostly, mainly Americans, but there are a lot of people from different parts of the world, and, um, 
you know, it, it worked out well for the first class, and I wound up building up to like six classes. And um, that's what I do. I just make sure that I'm there 100% for them. And they seem to uh, want to learn the way I teach. Sounds to me like you're the kind of teacher that I definitely would have uh, responded to. I like the Maverick uh, notion as well. So my dovetail question would be, you know, given you have these Maverick students and uh, School of Visual Arts is so uh, has so embraced your uh, um, your lesson plan that. How do your students feel about Kubrick? Do you have a general feel? Do you have specific examples from students? You know, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, it may have been a little more... You know, I, I've been teaching since 92. Mm-hmm. So it may have been a little more... Um, not so much intense, but there may have been bigger numbers back then. But now, you know, the first day, what's your favorite film? What's your favorite filmmaker? Kubrick, 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 Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And they haven't seen all the films, and I get them to try to see Barry Lyndon and you know, Paths of Glory and, and that sort of a thing. But um, they they know a lot about Kubrick. They're, they're all big admirers of him for the same reason I think all of us always were, you know? Mm. Mainly because he's a perfectionist and he was a, a visionary and he made films the way he wanted to make them. Right. And... Um, they, uh, he's very much at the top of the list. When, when he's mentioned, he's always mentioned first. Yeah, as he should be. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, in conversation with folks, you know, s- said that, you know, I, I don't think it's a stretch to assume that, you know, in 500 years from now, maybe that, you know, likely still be teaching Kubrick and, uh, you know, university, film 101. Um and what's fascinating? Go, please. Oh, I was going to say is, is, is when he passed. Now, who the, I, I said that he was like Beethoven. I forget the two the two people, but meaning the point that you could say Leonardo da Vinci. You know, anybody of that mm-hmm. that uh, kind of. Uh, I think Picasso. I mentioned. I mentioned two people, but the point is, um, I put him in that category while he was alive. Now that he's gone and. Mm like you say, 500 years, whatever amount of years, it's going to be more so that he's going to be considered not just a great filmmaker, one of the great artists of all time. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's what a lot of uh, people who worked with him and knew him seem to uh, kind of always come back to is that above all, he was an artist. And um, clearly you get that. I mean, I, I, I think I knew that before... I knew it. I kind of intuited it as a kid who was initially fascinated with The Shining, um, although I didn't know why. I just knew I was hypnotized by it. Um, this would have been in the early 80s. Right. Um, you have to forgive me if you hear that uh, police car just going by. I live in a That's noisy okay. neighborhood. Yeah, it's a noisy neighborhood. It's no- noisy here, too. Some guy was doing his lawn before. No, um but yeah i mean that's 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 brilliant uh, you know and insightful brilliantly insightful i should say that uh you you think that in like i said 500 years yeah they'll be teaching him in film 101 as uh essential studying for people who want to become filmmakers but um it would be you know uh 
worth nothing if it didn't focus on the fact that above all Kubrick's film rep, uh, films represent uh, him the artist. So, you know, I I, uh, I want to get to your book because um, the book obviously does a, a great examination of him as an artist, uh, among other right. things, of course, is the, the man, the filmmaker. But um, in the prologue of your book, which for our listeners is absolutely essential, uh, you must own it. It's called Stanley Kubrick, A Biography. And uh, the quote is... Um, the journey began in 1964 when at age 14, my friends and I went to the movies. Going to the movies meant seeing whatever was playing at the local theater in Sunnyside, Queens, New York, to pass the time and to be entertained. I can't say we knew what we were going to see that day, but the marquee announced the feature as Dr. Strangelove. As the black and white image of two military planes engaging in some sort of sexual misconduct crossed the, uh, crossed the screen, I knew I wasn't watching an Elvis Presley film. This wasn't like any other film I had ever seen. Six years later, as a film student at the School of Visual Arts, I saw Paths of Glory and have never forgotten those relentless tracking shots of Kirk Douglas leading his doomed troops through the trenches. I caught up with the director's early work at a Museum of Modern Art retrospective and waited to see what Kubrick had in store for us. It was a screening of 2001, A Space Odyssey, at the Ziegfeld Theater in the early 70s that put me on the course that led to this book. I knew that neither the cinema nor I would ever be the same again. So this question comes from Stephen and... Uh, you know, right there, you described your first exposure to Kubrick's films, but uh, we'd love for you to further elaborate on this, if you can, and tell us how you got to the point of actually wanting to write the first biography on Stanley Kubrick. Thank you. That's a great question, and I'm going to answer it in a way that's probably might be a bit of a surprise. What happened was, is that... Um, the reason that I did my first book, which was an editing book, uh, interview book with great editors, and the reason that I did that is, is two guys had written a book on cinematography where they, edit, where they interviewed great cinematographers, and I said, listen, editors deserve this, and I did it. Hmm. So as I was starting to move on after that, um, I had read a gentleman, you may have heard of him, his name is Patrick McGilligan. He's a film biographer. I think mm -hmm. he's probably the best there is. And um, I started to model my career over him, and I wrote him like a fan letter. And he was very helpful, <laughs> as he is to everybody who writes on film, who contacts him. And, you know, we, we, we talked, and he gave me some ideas about how to, um, you know, become better at what I was doing. And then at one point I called him and I said, listen, I'm ready to do what you've done. You started in um, in books that were interview books on people who were in the blacklist, uh, mainly um, screenwriters, mm -hmm. and now you write these incredible uh, film biographies of directors. So, you ready for this? I have. Yeah. A, I'm just a couple of feet from my uh, library, and there's a million books on an old wooden bookshelf. They've been there since I started in 1967 uh, collecting books. 
And Pat is on the phone, and we're talking, and I'm literally going, you know, again, Kubrick, A, B, C, you know, all the directors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, you know, Pat, my number one choice would be uh, Wells. But I said, every, you know, that was this is a long time ago. Wells right. had been done a million times. Now mm-hmm. he's done a billion times, mostly well, you know. But mm-hmm. I said, what else am I going to say? We get to K. I swear, my mother, this is a true story. We get to K, and he says, "How about Kubrick?" <laughs> I said, "Kubrick." <laughs> I said, "I think I knew the answer." There had never been a biography of Kubrick, you know, and there were books right. on Kubrick. I had them there under K, you know, and um, so what it turned out though is that he didn't like Kubrick, and he was offered by Norton and Norton, W.W. Norton, excuse me, W.W. Norton, Mm -hmm. and he was offered to write a book on Kubrick. He turned it down because he said, I really don't like Kubrick. He tells me the name, the the publisher, and he tells me the name of the editor who's interested, but he says, call him, but you can't tell him who I am. You can't tell him who told you. So the first thing I say, you know, I introduce myself, I try to do, you know, some fast talking, and, um... Right away, he says, can I ask you a question? He said, do you know Pat McGilligan? And I tell you, I never lie. I had a lie. So it turned out I sent him a proposal. He's a very big editor, actually. And I sent him a proposal, and it turned out that he, he liked it a lot, but he said it wasn't for him. You know, it just wasn't, you know, editors can be really, uh, can be tough. Mm. But uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I do have a, a quick follow up, which is, you know, it's you describing your book library and you get to K, which is how you discovered uh, Kubrick. What what was the book that, you know, caught your eye on the shelf? Or do you recall which books on Kubrick you had in oh, 1967? Great. Definitely the Kagan book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the title now. Obviously, Stanley, the cinema of Stanley Kubrick. Or it was, he went through several. Every time a new Kubrick film came out, he would put out another edition, right. uh, which was great. Um, that was there. I may have put the director of Superstar up there because that had an interview with Kubrick. Oh, okay. But, it's definitely one of those think, things. Hold on one second. Let me see yeah, if go I ahead. can give you a go really ahead. fast answer. Of what other books may have been there? Because now that you know, there are now there are a lot of books. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want fast answers. I want you to take three hours, like you're not allowed to do with your <laughs> students. You know, that's the only one I see now. That's the only one I see. Is the the, the Kagan book. Everything else came came later. But uh, that was a great question because I, obviously I saw something. Right. Stephen's got a question here. Yeah, I, I wonder if the Jerome Angel book was around then, the 2001 book. I'm sorry? Uh, the making oh, yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that would have had to have been. That, either that was up there or that was in the section with films, you know, books on books devoted to one film. Right, right. And th- that's another great book. And he, if I remember correctly, well, I think I met his nephews. I, I don't, he started sending me postcards with like facts that nobody knew about Kubrick, nobody, mm, wow. and they're in the book. I can't remember exactly which ones they were, but he talked a lot about 2001 of stuff that he had learned. 
So the, I'm glad you brought that up. The Hegel book is a great book. Yeah, yeah. that's another essential. When, when was we, the cement, uh, how do you, C-I-M-E-N-T, how do you pronounce that? When was that first published? That was... Oh, uh, book? Yeah. Book was, yeah, let's say the Chimet book was, was up there also. He was before me. I know he was before me because, you know, because I remember studying his book for writing mine. He, he sat oh. down and gave him interviews. Yeah, he did. I believe that came out right after The Shining. It doesn't go beyond that. The first edition, which uh, the lovely Stephen Rigg actually gifted me a copy with, uh, I have. And it, uh, it's, it does have three separate interviews that Stanley gave him. And, uh, wow. there, and, and, and it stops after The Shining. That's right. And I, I would say, if you're interested in film, read every Chiment book. They're all great. He did one on John Borman, who, unfortunately, a lot of people don't even know who he is. I do. Great we friend. all do. He was yeah. a friend of Kubrick's, actually, too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys know. Yeah, absolutely. I love Borman films. Um, Deliverance is such a classic. But he's got, oh a my great, gosh. he's got a long list of good films. Yeah, he does. I love all his films. I think he's just about. To, I think he's just currently working on a follow-up to Hope and Glory, isn't he? Like, it's, they're talking about it being his swan song. Mm. Is that true? And he's got to so. be—he's got to be over seventy-five, right? Y- yeah, yeah. These guys keep going. It's amazing. If only Stanley could have. Well, that's another story altogether, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll get there. He, sh- he should not have died when he died. I I couldn't agree more. I uh, I, w- I wish I'd saved. It. I was living in Boston at the time, and there were uh, newspaper boxes, you know, on the corner, etc. And uh, even though it was Boston, you could buy the New York Times. And uh, when I woke up that morning, my roommate Krista Chellis had just said, "Hey, man," and I it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. At, at the time, I didn't even know his age. I was just like devastated that, oh, what? You know, and I, I always felt that like, you know, for him to go at 70 was like, you know, he's like the only soul to ever, to, de- to make it to, to seven decades and still die way too young. That's just how I personally felt about it. You know, you know what's really tragic is, to me, three great filmmakers that died at exactly 70. Orson Welles, Stan mm-hmm. Brackage, the experimental filmmaker, and Stanley Kubrick. Oh, wow. He never went to doctors. His father and, was a doctor. He was afraid of doctors or disliked doctors or whatever it was. And he thought he had a, like a flu or whatever. His, you know, he had a heart attack. Yeah. They would have rushed him to the hospital. So with uh, rock stars, it's, it's 29 is the age. <laughs> but with directors... 27. <laughs> It's 27, I think. Oh, 27? Okay. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> the, the 27 Club. Yeah, and with visionary filmmakers, it's 70. Yeah, I, that's that's right. I mean, yeah, he didn't like to go to the doctor. Well, that's like Mel Brooks, I think, said, like, I don't, you know, go to the doctor. Says, you know, like, every time I go to the doctor, he says, you know, you got this thing wrong with you, that thing wrong with you, the other thing wrong with you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't have any of that stuff before I came in here. <laughs> What are you telling me this for? <laughs> you know, sadly, it's true, you know, but we all do go to the doctor because you don't want to die at 70 or 60. Right, or, right. 
Well, that's like this trend with all this, uh, you know, this so-called organic food and everything that's going around. And I mean, I'm like to hell with it, because at my age, like I'll take all the preservatives I can get. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Well, let me let me dip back because, yeah, we we, will come back to that. Um, One of James's great questions here is. you know, Vinny, were there any personal prerequisites that you had set for yourself before embarking on the book, such as being able to get in touch with Kubrick or his estate? Another great question. You know, for all those biographers out there, would-be biographers, Mm -hmm. never say, I'll only do the book if the person helps me, you know, cooperates or talks to me. I found out, you know, once you become Kubrick's biographer, you find out a lot of things. I found out that several people wanted to write a book on on Kubrick way back. Mm. And they basically asked him, like, to help them. And he said he wouldn't even answer it. He never even answered me either, you know, didn't expect them. So the prerequisites that I had, you know, I want to be careful that I don't, like, rewrite, you know, history. Because I went into this knowing that it was going to be tough really tough. I knew mm. Kubrick wouldn't help me. I figured he wouldn't talk to me. And I didn't even ask to, uh, when I wrote him finally, I did not ask him to uh, give me an interview. Mm. I just asked him if, you know, cooperation from his office, you know, if I needed uh, some facts or, or that kind of a thing. But, the, but my prerequisites really were to write a great book, to write a book. Of, I'm writing about a great filmmaker, make it as great as possible. But even right though I'm great, just get every piece of information. You know, I think the people who love my book, God bless them, love all the information. And people who have been critical, not that many, but people who have been critical, mm-hmm. only put it in everything. Yeah, I did put it in everything, including the handwriting expert, which maybe if I did it again, I wouldn't put that in. Mm-hmm. But I thought there was something in there that said something about Kubrick. I was writing a book about someone that nobody knew anything about. All they knew right. was what they knew, right? That he was right. meticulous and a lot of, lot of uh, uh, takes and that, and that sort of thing. So that was my prerequisite, to find everything you could find and to find everybody who would talk to me. And, um, you know, I'm so proud that, that there are 70 people in the book because it wasn't easy getting 70 people. But, you know, when you look at books on, uh, you look at biographies, people talk to hundreds of people. Oh, yeah. And um, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So, uh, you know, it was a matter of finding uh, the way to do that. But that was a prerequisite for it to, to be as meticulous and uh, full of detail as a Kubrick film. You, you definitely achieved that and then some, Vinny. So, I mean, and, and to that point, no, I, sincerely, we mean it. Um, Mark Lentz, uh, you know, our friend and uh, brilliant researcher, um, actually touched upon that because, you know, your book is definitely praised almost, you know, like you said, there's some critics, but universally praised for its meticulous research and the vast number of interviews. And as you said, 70, uh, in fact. So Mark has a question, which is uh, of your subjects, uh, all 70, who were the most fun to interview? Well, you know, some people weren't fun, <laughs> but most of them were fun. Of my favorites, I, I would single out Richard Anderson, mm-hmm. 
who who was in Paths of Glory. Right. And because, first of all, he's got a gorgeous voice. <laughs> he's got that voice. You pick up the phone and and you hear Richard Anderson talking. You know, after watching the the Six Million Dollar Man, or that's the correct title. Right. But, um, he was so articulate, and he told me some personal stuff um, about Kubrick and, and Christian and how they met. And he he was you know, he was a young, handsome guy. He was an old handsome sure. guy. Sure. He was talking to me, but he he wanted to, uh, you know try to date her and then he realized that the director was was interested <laughs> but um so you know he told me a lot of personal stuff and also you know contributions that, that, that he made um like in paths of glory when they're having the trial mm-hmm. we said okay go action and he got up and started the you know the speech right. and kubrick said no no stop 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 he said, what are you doing he said stanley i really feel i should move here what does Kubrick do? He's a genius, right? The guy, camera, go. He starts to move. Kubrick takes the camera, puts it behind the panel of general. Yes, yes. Right? You know that shot. Of course, it? absolutely. And and follow them. See, to me, I'm getting the chills. That's, that's filmmaking. Yeah. That's filmmaking. So Richard Anderson was, was, a, was a great guy. He also you know, told me working on seconds. and He told me all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was great. I'm going to save the, the best for, for, for last. I have three, three people I've singled out. The other one I'm laughing because he, he was a hoot is Stephen Burkoff, who oh. was in uh, Barry, Barry Lyndon. He's the one that gets in trouble with the, with, with the debt and, and he has to duel. He also was very, very, you know, funny and, and uh, sort of irreverent about Kubrick at times, you know, and his family. And it was really, uh, it was refreshing. It was like a different kind of approach. But of course, in the end, you know, he respected, uh, you know, the genius of, of Kubrick. Now, he was the last he's one. one who spits in McDowell's face, right? Yeah, he's, the, he's also in Clockwork Orange. He's the cop. James is right on. He's, he's the cop who spits on Malcolm's face. Stephen Burkoff. Right, right, right. That's right. I forgot about that. He's a great yes. actor. Great actor. Theater man. Theater man. Yeah. He had been in films, obviously. So the, 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 last the Richard one, Anderson the, thing is cool. Yeah, go on. It was the, it was the third. The last one to answer your question about who was the most fun is I tried to get James B. Harris. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about what they say, the big kahuna. You know, he right. worked with Kubrick for 10 years. Mm-hmm. His name was above Kubrick's. Yep. Harris Kubrick Productions. Right? Correct, yeah. So, um, um, you know, I, I tried everything I, I could. And then I got to, I forget, oh, somebody at school gave me a, a contact to Marie Windsor, the great uh, actress who's in a million film noirs. Sure. And um, she was in The Killing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, so, that's right. So we had, a, we had a great interview, but Jimmy found out that, um, you know, he had probably more than one email or letter from him, probably a letter at the time. And um, he contacted me and said that, that uh, he would sit down with me. So, again, this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So but I basically remember the, the gist of this is that I come in and he looks me in the eye. Do you want a drink? No, no, I'm fine. He says, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was just talking with Kubrick. We were talking about you. You know, these guys like to test you, you know? And I just right. said, oh, that's, that's nice, or that's cool, or whatever I say. I, I wouldn't have said cool. That's nice. And, um... You're like, shut the front door! <laughs> Stop. 
Stay Cooper Talk mentioned my name. But uh, but but anyway, so so um a couple of minutes go by and he says, uh, I'm gonna tell you why I decided to, to talk to you. And the reason basically was that he said, You go back, you go back to SVA and tell these kids how hard and how much we suffered to get where we were. Mm. Which I thought was amazing. Then he said, you know, they never tell you this on the phone. You know, they, they, they get you down. I'm looking at the guy, and he says, now, there are three things. He said, it's up to you. He says, if, if you can't deal with all three of these, then, you know, we won't have the interview. You know, well, it's nice to have met you, and that's it. But he said, here's the three things. And what, the, the one I really remember is that he said, and I thought this was easy. He said, you know, every movie that we do, we ask somebody, they say no, and we go to somebody else. He said, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want you to know who we asked and who said no or couldn't do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, you know, that, that's that, that's fine. So it was, it was three things like that. I mean, it was like nothing, you know? Wow. So, so what happened when I started to talk to him? All three, oh, money, no budgets. Don't ask how much a movie costs. I said, that's fine. I don't care. I'll find it somewhere else, right? But uh, I didn't say that to him. But um, I said, you know, that's fine. So uh, that was basically it. And then we talked for a very long time. And he talked to me. You know, it was a man-to-man talk. I mean, he told me the the story. He he trusted me, I think. You know, and he, Mm -hmm. he told me the story. He didn't ask any questions about trust. And he told me the story about young Jimmy Harris and young Stanley Kubrick. And how they made these incredible movies together. That's amazing. I still love it. one of my favorite Kubrick movies is The Killing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which Jimmy produced. Jimmy and found of the course. book. He found the book in the bookstore. Oh, that's right. So yeah. When The Killing was finished and they brought it to California and they showed it, Sterling Hayden's agent ran up to the two boys and said, "What the hell? What did you do? You what? He said you can't follow the movie. It goes back and forth." Stanley, our Stanley Kubrick, went back to New York, took that film, and put it into chronological, you know, the right order. I think they screened it just for themselves. And uh, they said, this doesn't work, and they put it back to the way it is now, which is the way the book is. Everybody who criticized the structure or praised the structure for Kubrick inventing it, it's in the book. Yeah, the book, I believe, was called Clean Break, the one that Jimmy Harris found. Clean break, yeah. yeah. probably didn't like the title for. I don't think I asked Jimmy Harris that, but the, yeah, they didn't retain the title. Well, the killing certainly, you know, jumps off the marquee a lot better. Oh, the killing is a great title. The great title. So those, um, those are the, those, those are my favorites. So I mean, was James Harris uh, one of the most difficult uh, people to get of your seventy interviews? If not him, who were the most difficult to get? I don't like the word difficult here only because it, it took time to get him. Difficult would be if he gave me, if he said, no, I'm not going to do it. Or, right. You know, go back and forth or, you know, who are you and that kind of thing. But right. there was none of that. So we could, you know, difficult, uh, you know, uh, a lot of work, that kind of a thing. Right. I, Everybody else, yeah, I got to tell you, a lot of the, the interviews um, were set up and some of the people were even found by my wife, Harriet. You know, because it was so much work to, to write and to do all this, 
that she and she helps me on every book I do. But she she you know stayed on the phone and she got some of the Kubrick family members, not not the uh, you know some of the distant ones, but were not too nice to her either. You know, mm-hmm. leave Stanley alone, that kind of thing. I'm actually looking at while you're talking. I'm looking at some photos I took at the Kubrick exhibit, and they had a display of many of the screen um, screen screenplays they wrote during that period. Right. And they were they they kind of were looking at a lot of different projects, and they worked on them. So my point is, I'm looking at a photograph I took of the cover page of a screenplay called "Sudden Death." And it says a screenplay by Stanley Kubrick with additional dialogue by Jim Thompson based on the novel Clean Break by Lionel White. So that's what became the killing. And this was a they were first going to call it sudden death and then they changed it to the killing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that's in my book. I'm not so sure I, I know that. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess I guess they realized right away that they didn't want to use the original title, and they but to have it on a screenplay is interesting. It means that they really felt it was going to go. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, um, the word "difficult" might have been the wrong choice on my no, part. No, not you. It's not you. I, but I, I I completely get what you meant. Um, you know, the more challenging uh, to get in touch with. I, that was my. Uh, only uh, angle of inquiry, but it w- was there anyone you really wanted to get in touch with but <coughs> couldn't, uh, other than Stanley, of course? You know, one of the things that I did, this I may do differently now. I don't, you know, I didn't try to contact everybody, every actor, every crew member, because a, a lot of people I felt there was no way it was going to go, you know, so I, so I, I had to, uh, you know, to, to pick and choose. Um, the one, if this is bending it a little bit, you know, it was the most difficult to get. Is that okay to go with that? Of course. The, the, the two Please. that were most difficult, this one is another, like a classic, uh, Vinnie Labruto story. Bernard Cooperman. Somehow I found this guy. He's a friend of Kubrick's. He was in the photo club with him and he didn't become a photographer but he was in Look Magazine. Kubrick dragged him to a, some movie theater with a girl that Kubrick had with him. And mm-hmm. they went up on the balcony and he said, try to kiss her. He, he took a series of pictures and she, she slaps him at one point, I believe. Uh-huh. And um, so it was a photo story. So I thought it was interesting, you know, to, to talk with him. And he sounded like he was like 100%, you know, that he was going to do it. So... For some reason, I it was in Long Island. I didn't want to drive, so so we got a, a car, you know. And I, and I go, I go out there. And would you like something to drink? Yeah, good. Okay. So he says, you know, I'm not so sure I can do this. So you know, when you hear that, instead of mm. getting excited or upset, you get very calm because mm. you say to yourself, "There's no way I'm leaving here without an interview." You know, right. Right. the best I right. can. Right. He was afraid of Kubrick. Wow. And I don't know what I said to him at the time, but I convinced him. You know, I said, you know, what you're saying is honest, and it's, you know, there's nothing negative about this. There was something about the girl that he was concerned about. You know, I, I mean, you know how people could get discretion, and maybe somebody. You know, I've had this happen, where by the time you get to talk to them, somebody has talked to them, and they change your their mind. Yeah. So once he was relaxed and, and said it was fine. 
I turned on the tape recorder, and he was 100%. It was like nothing had happened. Absolutely. Now, I, I, I had Stephen uh, uh, go in and block all of your contacts so no one would be able to uh, tell you not to talk with us. I, <laughs> I, I didn't want any middleman getting between uh, Vinny and uh, Kubrick's universe, man. So we had to do what we had to do. You know, it's a ruthless business, this uh, I like podcast. That. I like that. <laughs> the other, the other person, there may have been one other person that was in this category, but unfortunately, I don't remember at the time. But I have found out. I think it's in Eagles' book that the great Roger Karras, president of the ASPCA, mm-hmm. worked on two thousand one. Kubrick so respected him. He, um, I don't know if he was in charge of making sure he was just making sure everything was working right, research and that sort of thing. So he was easy to find because I think he was still in the ASPCA, if I remember correctly. Wow. And um, he gets on the phone and talks to me. He didn't put an assistant on. He said, Vinny, he said, it's very simple. If, if you can get Stanley Kubrick, this, this was another thing I asked Kubrick for. If you could ask Stanley Kubrick, um, and, he, and he'll say to me, or you or somebody, that you'll talk to me, I'll talk to you, rather, then we'll do it. So I think I told him, I said, Mr. Karras, it's not going to happen, you know, and, right. I, and I respect that. I said, I wrote Mr. Kubrick a letter, and that was one of the things I asked for, and I never got a response. So I'm assuming, I don't know if you assume it's a no, you know, but I, I could, it wasn't a yes. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. Maybe a decade later, I'm at SVA, and two students come up to me. One of them, I think, I don't think he was his son, but I think he was related to Karras. He said, there was, he said you, know, you know, he passed away. I said, I know. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. He had just passed away. He mm-hmm. said, we were going through his papers, and we found your letter that you wrote wow. down. It's a little off the, you know, the beaten path type story, no, but yeah. it shows you what you go through as a biographer. You know, I mean, life Absolutely. is very Absolutely. But there was one or two other people that I can't remember that said, you know, that if Kubrick says yes, but not a lot. I mean, I was worried that everybody was going to say that. Mm-hmm. Why not say it, right? What's the big deal? Yeah. Well, given that, you know, he was just uh, very protective of his and his family's privacy, that would have been a, a logical assumption on your part that, you know, that most people uh, in contact with him wouldn't want to share with you. Um, did you ever try to get uh, in touch with uh, Stanley's sister, Barbara? Now, here's what I had to ask my wife this, uh, because I, you know, I knew it was going to come up, that she, Harriet was talking on the phone to somebody who was a relative, who in the end wouldn't talk to me. So, mm-hmm. And Barbara came up and he said, don't even try to, to get her. Um, she won't do it. Or she, you know, it was just like super negative. So we didn't even try to get her. She's in for like a very short clip, one clip in um, Life in Pictures, the documentary on, on Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sort of surprised. I, I don't know what I expected Kubrick's sister to look like, but um, straight-ahead type woman, not, a, not an intellect. And, um, I, you know, who knows what kind of relationship they had. I mean, the one thing I do know that's in the book is that uh, Kubrick was a big sports fan. So he used to write oh, yeah. Barbara, call Barbara, and say, send me tapes of the NFL, you know? Right, right. 
which is such and, a great um, a great story. I mean, such a cool thing to know about it, it is a great story. You know, there's nothing else in terms of what they were like as children or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh well, the, I mean that uh image of uh little Barbara and Stanley who I think was about he was about 7 years older than her or somewhere around there 6 and a half years older than her. Um something like yeah, there's well, they they've turned that that great little uh, moment where they're dancing and uh, he hip checks her, bumps her into the into onto the floor. You can find that as like a gif now if you just go to you know uh, type in like young Stanley Kubrick or something. It's been turned into a gif and memes and stuff, and uh, you see Barbara as a little girl just and there's pictures of her like playing with his hair and stuff and uh it's it's clear that he was uh you know under the surface a really affectionate guy especially obviously you know towards his family people he cared oh, he about adored those girls he adored oh, yeah. those girls yeah barbara's, uh, life, barbara's son it. barbara's son robert used to be on the alt movies kubrick group occasionally and uh, he always used to Whatever it was he said flattering about his uncle, he would have the caveat of, I haven't spoken to him in a very long time. Right. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. You know, I mean, Barbara would have said, listen, my brother's a very private guy, as you know. Mm -hmm. So I can't talk to you, you know. I don't right. think she really even asked for permission. Because she, she would be, not about the movie, she would be all personal stuff. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, that yeah, it wouldn't be yet. To find in, in you know various places. Yeah, she wouldn't be talking with you about uh, yeah aspects of his filmmaking, and so she. I guess no. if she didn't make herself available, it's because she likely knew that she would have been asked about you know stuff. Uh, she wouldn't be okay with sharing personal stuff, family stuff. No, that makes no, sense. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course, I would have asked about the parents. Yeah, of course. Um, right, right. I mean, that would have been anyone's natural uh, uh, preclusion to to want to know. Yeah. I mean, just because you know, I think like Kubrick himself, you know, the 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 bulk of his really diehard fans seem to have that thing in common with him, which is kind of you know like a restless curiosity and just wanting to know. I'm sure that it would have been great for you to, you know, get the chance to speak with Barbara or, you know, Jack or Gert. But uh, regardless, you know, the, the fact that you and Kubrick being fellow New Yorkers, I, I can't imagine that hurt you uh, at all. Didn't it, in fact, I'm guessing, help you in some way with writing your book? It helped a lot being the New York guy. Actually, um, Pat McGilligan, who I mentioned earlier, is mm -hmm. good friends with, with Baxter. And he okay. said, listen, Baxter is a very experienced guy. He's in England. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of, of contacts. He said, listen, you are right a foot away from where Kubrick was born. Right. Do the Bronx, do New York. And it, it, it was very good um, advice. And I have to say that if you read the book carefully, when it gets to England, I mean, the films are covered, but it's, it's not the... the um, Life in England is not, you know, he was in that castle, you know, Cooper Castle. Life in, in England is not covered the way New York is covered. So it was right. a, a big help. 
and yeah, and understanding him also. He was a Bronx a Bronx guy, and I'm a Queens guy. You you can't get rid of that, you know. No matter sure. what you do. Sure. Yeah, I mean that's true. I mean I'm born and raised in North Jersey. I'm 13 miles from the city, and uh, it, it's. It's it's true that New York and Jersey are not the same, but you know, on the other hand, we're like the the sixth borough, as some people say, especially this right. part of it. And you can't you can't separate. You can you know, I'm planning to move out of Jersey, and I know already that you know you can take the the boy out of Jersey, but as they say, you know the rest. Um, you 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 have a certain uh, thing, and I know James can attest to this when you're. When you're brought up in this part of the country, uh, you have a certain a quickness about you. You're quick to think, quick to act. And uh, I've traveled a lot and I noticed that people, you know, are very interested. They're very curious to know what it's like to, you know, grow up here because our reputation kind of precedes us as like people who get things done. And yeah. that goes that goes back to Kubrick because I mean, oh, if, yeah. if, I mean he was absolutely a person who just had to see it through, gets the job done, and no excuses, not having it. No. Yeah. Well, I want to uh, ask you about the because unfortunately we weren't uh, the first to uh, get an exclusive with you. You did an interview with uh, Jamie Duvall and Dean Treadway and the the great guys over at Movie Geeks United, which is an awesome podcast. Those what is causing this? You hear me? Can you hear me? You're coming back. Coming back. It's coming back. All right. Bear with me. Can you hear me? It's test, coming back. It has a little bit of drop out in it, but it's coming back. All right. Test, test, test. That's good. Test, 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 test. I think you're back, Jason. Yeah. You can back. hear me now? Yeah. Okay, I had, to, I had to close some other windows. <laughs> to keep the signal in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so you were just... You, 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 you're containing it now. You've cl- closed the windows. You keep, keep that signal in that room. That's good. Uh, yeah, you were just, you were... I like that. That's a good technical uh, touch. Love it. <laughs> Uh, Jason, you were talking about the uh, Movie Geeks uh, podcast about something that... Uh, yeah, Movie Geeks. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Stephen, you know why uh, you should never uh, fart in an Apple store? Why? They don't have windows. Oh. Oh, Apple oh. windows. <laughs> so what about Thank the Movie you. Geeks? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I will be appearing nowhere. So, okay, Movie Geeks, yeah. Um I was just saying that, uh, you know, you did an interview with the great guys at Movie Geeks United. Uh, We're fans and uh, friends with Jamie and uh, Dean. And uh, unfortunately, we did not get you uh, first for an exclusive, but uh, it's a great interview. And in it, I believe you mentioned that while you had never heard from Kubrick directly, one of the nicest compliments you uh, you did get indirectly and you referenced this before, was uh, via Jimmy Harris, uh, Kubrick's producing partner from the early days. Um, When you first met with James to interview him for your book, he told you that he'd just gotten off the phone and that Stanley and he were talking about you. 
then after the book was published, uh, I believe you got a call from Kubrick's assistant, Tony Freewin. And during right. that call, he said that Kubrick had read your book. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that you knew more about him than he did. And that Kubrick also really liked that your book was not a typical kind of Hollywood film biography. So that must have been amazing to hear. Well, you know, I always tell us that this didn't happen this way, but I always tell the story this way. First of all, I'm in my room working and the phone rings. It's Tony Fruin. I know who Tony Fruin is. And he explained, you know, he's British, he has this great accent, and, and um, he's a real gentleman, a great uh, raconteur, you know. And we're talking for, for quite some time, and he says, you know, I don't think he said Kubrick. I think he said, not the professor. He called him like the, the governor or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the governor read your book, and then he said those two lines. And then I fell on the floor, and then I got up and continued the conversation. I didn't really fall on the floor, but mentally I did. Yeah. I mean, I don't think even now I totally could could understand that I could see Stanley Stanley Kubrick saying that. You know, um, if he would have said, no matter what he would have said, I would have accepted it. Sure. But um, I think what he meant was, you know, there were facts that were that came out in the book that he may not have known about himself. Mm. You know, that other people said. Um, so whatever it was, a, well, yeah. that. I mean, it was a great honor, you know. And the thing about it not being a typical showbiz bio, Hollywood bio, is that I did not sit down and figure out what style I was going to do. But I don't write like a Hollywood biographer. I write yeah. like a New York guy, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that's that's how I wrote it, and I think he um, he appreciated that that it didn't have all that, you know. Uh, and that it had a lot about the technical making of the movies. That I'm mm-hmm. sure he, he didn't say that, but I'm sure he respected that because t- a typical Hollywood biography would say, you know, oh, he worked with this actress and that star, right. and, you know. And I said that, but I, but I, I talked a lot about how he how he made movies. So it, it was uh, incredible, incredible. You know, my parents were still alive. I told them, and uh, you know, nobody could believe it. I mean, they believed me, but they, they, it was just... Uh, I mean, he's a guy that has said three words outside of words that he needs to say for making a movie. He doesn't make comments like that. Yeah. He could have knocked you down with a feather. But the re- but that's not the reason why Tony called. Tony called to uh, ask me if I would be... Um, whether I could be interviewed for a film that they were doing and he said, "Jan, I said, of course I know who Jan Arlen is. Um, Jan was was directing, uh, and Kubrick had already passed, and it was a mm-hmm. uh, life in films. And um, don't look for me in that film again if you haven't. If you think maybe you didn't see me because mm-hmm. I got cut out. But I got, you know, I, I always say I got cut out because of Tom Cruise. You know, mm-hmm. they needed room for Tom Cruise. But um, but I gave them a you know a long interview, and um, they, they came over here." Uh, those being um, Jan Harlan, his son Manuel, and rest in peace a jillion times, Kubrick's daughter Anya, Mm -hmm. the the opera singer who died Mm -hmm. young. Mm -hmm. young. 50. Yeah, that's right. Not 70, 50. Yeah, exactly. She was, we we were on the car, we we landed in the Bronx, she was like an 8-year-old girl, 12-year-old girl. Mm. 
She was in her father. She had never, I don't even know she had ever been to New York. She was running up and down. Oh, Daddy lived here because they lived in a million places. Daddy mm-hmm. lived there, Daddy lived here. You guys know that. But, um, so, uh, that's, that's how I met them. And that was before, you know, the, the AI uh, thing. Right. So that's how I, so that answers that part of that question. Cause I know that. Let, let me let, let me go back because I'm curious to say you just said about uh, your part in the documentary Life in Pictures being cut out because of Tom Cruise. Can you elaborate on no, that? No, I, I mean that literally. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're doing a documentary like that, I shouldn't have said it that way. No, I think I knew what docu- you meant. Go on, please. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing a documentary that way and you have all these stars. Tom right. Cruise being one, you know, and there were people who were not stars, but the people who had intricate, you know, they weren't Kubrick's biographer, um, th- that uh, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I, you know, I never asked whether I was in and got taken out. I would never ask that. Mm-hmm. Because most likely I was never in. I think they felt there may have been an interesting idea, uh, but then I think when they heard what I had to say, I don't know how it would work in a documentary. You know, you don't want to dominate. Once you put in a biographer, then you got to put them in all over the place. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. That 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 makes sense. Um, you know. So obviously, in '97, there were two full-length biographies which came out. There was right. yours and John Baxter's, and really none since. Um, so this question's a two-parter. Did. Uh, Baxter's book uh, affect the sales of your book, and uh, how do you think yours and Baxter's uh, differ in, in in significant ways? Let me let me say at the outset that I have never, and probably will never, read Baxter's book. I'll tell you why in a second. Oh, interesting. Well, it, it, tell in, terms of the, in terms of the, the the sales, I'd have to really see the two sales together. Hmm. My book, God bless Kubrick. I mean, and it was a tough time for my wife and I in terms of uh, you know fi- finance. The book sold like crazy, and it sold well, you know, in Europe, uh, foreign sales as well. So, and I know I I um I uh, autographed hundreds of copies. Sure. And I used to see it in stores, you know, and, they, and there would be a big stack there, you know. So, um, it did very well. I don't know how Baxter's book did. Um, I have a feeling that I may have done a little better, but I don't really know for sure. See, and for, you, for him, it was like another book, you know? Right, right. I mean, I wrote biographies too, but you know, to me, there's Kubrick, and then there's the other bi- three biographies I did. Kubrick was a major biography. I mean, it turned out to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love the I, other I, books, I, but... I totally get your point. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, were you aware that uh, Baxter was writing at the same time? Yeah, as- but see, that's what, that's what I was touching on before. Pat McGilligan told me that uh, there's this gentleman, um, and I, I went out and, and read his book on, um, on Fellini, which I thought was very good, and he said that, that he's in England, and, uh, you know, he's... He, I don't know if he had already started... I, I don't even remember who, who came out first. I, it was the same year, so it doesn't really matter. I think his, I think his, his book came out in paperback, and I think, that, I think I saw that in the store before my book came out. 
Um, I'll give you a very simple answer, and, 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 I, and I really don't have anything else to say because I haven't, I haven't read it. I've, the Fellini book was excellent. I've read his book on Lucas and his book on, um, on Robert De Niro. And let mm-hmm. me say that we write totally different kinds of books. We pick subjects in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. I would never pick a subject of somebody that I didn't 100% like. Right. The two books that I mentioned, to me, my tastes are negative. Interesting. You can't be critical about somebody, but they they seem to be personal negative, you know? So that's that's part of the reason. Um, That's basically it. That sounds kind of like you're answering why you have no interest in reading his book on Kubrick, if I can yeah. Uh, surmise. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, no, as long as that's accurate, you know, I'm just trying to get it right. Yeah. No, it um, is. It is. Uh, hello everyone, um, thanks to Vincent Labruto for talking with us, uh, we will be broadcasting more from Vinay in the future. If you want to know about Kubrick in depth, then go out and buy a copy of Vincent's wonderful book, Stanley Kubrick, A Biography. Thanks to our wonderful Kubrick's Universe host with the most and interviewer, Jason Furlong, and to Mark Lentz and James Marinaccio for research for this episode. A quick correction... John Borman completed his sequel to Hope and Glory in 2014. It was called Queen and Country. Sorry about that. At the start of the show, we played an original piano piece composed and performed by the man who never leaves his keys in the ashtray, Mr Boogie Williams. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're on Facebook, come and join in the fun at the Stanley Kubrick Appreciation Society. We will now leave you with a track called Stanley Kubrick by Scottish post-rockers Mogwai. It was originally released on the 1999 eponymous EP Mogwai. I'm Stephen Rigg, tati bye.
It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. Thank you for listening to the Stanley Kubrick Podcast.